Good, so I will read Romans 5 and then verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. Help us now as we come to look at, look at it. Please give us the Holy Spirit's uh, help as we seek to understand it and apply it to our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in another part of the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 2, we read these words, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now, what is it that makes salvation great? I want to answer that question, and this morning we're going to tread a well-beaten track. Nothing fancy, just the, back to the, the very basics of the core of the gospel itself. And I want to look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. What makes salvation great? Why is it that David could hope, as we were looking at Psalm 51, for the mercy of God, even though he was a really bad man. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, perhaps we would say salvation is great because of the varied blessings that it brings. I don't know if you ever got taken, perhaps, or, or you go yourself now, to one of these, uh, eat as much as you like, buffet restaurants where they have the Indian food over there and then they have the continental food over here and then they have fish and chips for the more conservative tastes and they have you know food from around the world and you can eat as much as you like and you can sample a bit of that. God has given us a salvation which it takes a whole lifetime to, to get a grasp of and to appreciate it in all the different aspects, all the different, like the facets of a diamond. He has given us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we could say we have the whole armor of God given to us to keep us from the wiles of the devil. We have a completely true book 
a light to our path to show us how to live. We're given access to the throne of God 24-7, that any time in any situation you can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in your time of need. We are given many and varied and wonderful blessings. And there's a hymn, we might sing, sing it sometimes, the hymn, Great is your faithfulness, it has strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, blessings are mine and 10,000 beside. We are blessed people as Christians. But what makes salvation great? Well, these things do make it great, but what is the, the need of a starving beggar? What is his primary need? If you think of a man lying on the street, he needs, well, he needs, he needs some new clothes, probably. He needs a job. He needs to have a, a place to live. He maybe needs friends. He needs people in his life. He needs many things. He probably needs some medical attention. But if he's starving and he's literally famished, then all those other things are secondary. There is an urgent need that must be taken care of first. He needs to eat. Otherwise he will die. You have to give a starving man food before you give him a place to live and a job. A job doesn't no good if he's starving. What is the big problem in our lives, the barrier in our lives, the danger in our lives, that is the big threat to our, our existence, if we can put it like that? What is the great danger that you and I are in as we're born into this world and until we find Jesus Christ as our saviour? Well, Paul says it in this, word, in this verse, Therefore, after the things he said so far, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. What you and I need is, is peace. We need peace with God. Before we can begin to think about serving God and knowing him in, in, and, and finding out all the things that, that he has for us to, to do, and before we can enjoy that eternal relationship with him, we need to be reconciled to him. The, the penalty for our sin has to be dealt with. We need peace with God. So I want to look at this morning at peace with God and at three points, no surprises. And first thing that we see about peace with God is how precious it is. Peace with God is precious. Why is it precious? Well, I want you to, uh, perhaps you have a cupboard like this at home which is full of mugs and things, and it's got a bit too many in there. And you open the door, and it one falls out. And if, when that mug falls out, and you catch it instinctively, you feel quite pleased in that moment. You've saved yourself the hassle of clearing up broken pieces of pottery, and great, you can ha get on and have your coffee. That's great. But you won't be reading about it in the papers in the morning, will you? It's not going to make the papers. Why is that? Because it was only a mug. It wasn't that important. If it had been lost, well, hey-ho. But if you hear that somebody, a firefighter or, or a father, went into a building which was burning and pulled out 
his children and you read about it in the papers, you think, that, oh, that, that deserves to be in the papers. That's worth reading about. What's the difference between a mug and a child? One is not worth much. The other, you can't really put a value on it. One is off the scale in terms of its value. Well, you and I have an eternal soul. You and I will live forever. You and I have something which God has given us, that is his image. We are made to know God and we will forever be in existence. And salvation is precious because of what is involved. It's the salvation of souls. It's the salvation of souls from the eternal wrath of God. And well, to kind of situate where we are in the book of Romans to see, to see uh, how we get to this point in Romans chapter 5. So if you just turn to chapter 1 and verse 18, sorry, verse 16, Paul's going to talk about good news, he's going to talk about the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in, it, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed, etc. Well, that's, that's good. That sounds good. It's a good news. We're going to talk about salvation. We're going to talk about the gospel. That's all wonderful. And then straight away, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And then all the way through the rest of chapter 1 into chapter 2 and then a lot of chapter 3, he's showing this is your condition. This is the condition of the human race. This is his condition, that's my condition, and that's your condition. What is that condition? It's that we are lost in sin. He describes us as no one righteous, not even one, no one who seeks God, there's no one who understands, there's no one who does good. There is no one who can stand before God and say, I, unlike everyone else, am clean. No one can do that. I cannot do that. You cannot do that. We need peace with God. Why? Because we are under the wrath of God. And this isn't just something that Paul made up. Jesus himself spoke of the fire that will never be quenched, where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. Well, what is hell? Hell is the place where God's goodness is seen. A good God a perfectly good God, the one who is good through and through, he won't let the guilty go free. He said it all the way back thousands of years ago in the Old Testament. He met Moses on the mountain and he revealed his name to Moses and said, The Lord, the Lord God, gracious, full of compassion, long-suffering, all these wonderful attributes. And then he said this, It's the Lord by no means clearing the guilty. He's a just God. What is hell? Well, it's the place where the good judge, his sentence is carried out, guilty, condemned, not forgiven. And it's a place where the guilty can hear in their conscience forever and ever that sentence of the judge. You are unclean. You are not forgiven. And it's a place, Jesus said, where... The fire is not quenched. It's a place of blackness and darkness. The Bible, just as it does with heaven, it gives us many different images to understand heaven because we can't really take it in. Similarly with hell, we can't really express 
that place adequately with the English language or any other language. But in different descriptions, we are given a hint. Words like anguish and torment and darkness and fire. Why is, why is scripture speaking this way? Because you and I need peace with God. This is what the gospel brings to us. It delivers us from that place. Being justified by faith, what happens? That this terrible place, this place where you and I are headed as we are born into this world, we are taken away from the path of danger and we are placed in a place of peace with God. A place where God is, he is reconciled. A place where we can look, even though we are sinners, and say, God, the holy God, the perfectly good God, the just God, is pleased. And he will be pleased forever and ever. Peace with God is very precious. Then the second thing is that peace with God is not just precious, but it is, it's permanent. It's a permanent peace. Now, a few years ago, you might remember the, one of the Christmas adverts. Uh, they, maybe it was Sainsbury's, but somebody did one of the World War I Christmas truce. And it was quite well done. And they had, uh, so, you know, so the story goes, I don't know how much of it is apocryphal, but the story goes that on Christmas Day, they, they, they come out of their trenches, maybe have a game of football, and the enemy sides come together and they're being friendly. And it's a nice, heartwarming story. Now, I don't mean to be cynical at all. It's a nice story, but does it have a good ending? What happened the next day? What happened later on? Well, for several more years, they got back into the trenches and they were killing each other. It was peace, but it didn't last. And it ended in death still. What if God was like that? What if, what if God said, today, I declare you righteous, I declare you clean, and there was peace, and then tomorrow you sinned again, you messed up, and it all changed, and you were back. Well, that would be a recipe for complete despair. What could you do? Because you and I have sinned enough today already to rule us out from, from God's mercy, if that was how it worked. But peace with God is not just precious, but it's permanent. There's the, the hymn, Before the Throne of God Above. I have a strong, a perfect plea. You know that one. That's a wonderful hymn. Well, it has these, this line in it. It has, Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Now, this is why it's permanent. Because it's not about you. If, you can, if I can put it like this, imagine the gaze of the Heavenly Father fixed on His Son. His Son doesn't change. His righteousness doesn't change. So He's gazing at His Son today. And because of what He sees in His Son, He declares you righteous. And then tomorrow, you may have changed. But His Son is the same. And He's gazing at His Son, and so He declares you Righteous, And that applies forever and ever. That applies for the rest of your life as a Christian. It doesn't matter if you live till you're 120 
Hopefully you're not, probably, you're thinking. But it doesn't matter how long you live as a Christian, you're going to need this grace of God because you're still going to be a sinner. And it will always be there. Justification is a once-forever declaration because it means that God the just looks on him. And because he looks on him, it is permanent. And God says, well, this one has nothing to pay. He is free. Or she is free. Clean. Righteous. Forgiven. My son paid for his sin. My son fulfilled the law for the sinner. My son was punished in his place. My son's righteousness is now his own. I declare this one, despite all that men may say, despite what demons may say, despite what Satan himself may say, God says, righteous. And so Paul has these wonderful words in Romans 8. This is Romans 8 verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Peace with God. It is permanent because it is completely to do with the Son of God, the one who doesn't change. And you know, that is our... That is our comfort in, in all circumstances in life. It's the unchanging character of God the Father and of God the Son and of the Spirit. It's that God is unchanging in his character. And that is, depending on where, where you fall, on whether you, you bow the knee to Jesus Christ and trust him or you reject him, the unchanging character of God is the most wonderful thing or it's the most fearsome thing. A terrible thing. Because it's like a, you imagine a, a, a wall a thousand miles thick of granite. Keeping some people on one side and some people on the other side. Well that wall is like the character of God. Nothing will change it. Nothing will get through it. Nothing will break it. The, the tragedy of hell is that though there is weeping and gnashing of teeth is that there, there can be no change because God cannot deny himself he can't go against his holy character he cannot change and for those in heaven the glory of the gospel we are secure in Christ because even when we fall down, if we're in Christ, we fall onto this solid rock. We fall against this solid wall of the character of God. We couldn't get out if we wanted to, not that we do. Do you see that? This is the, the, the work of God and it's, the reason, it's what makes the difference between salvation and judgment. It's this unchangeable character of God. So peace with God is precious. Peace with God is permanent. And then finally, peace with God is free. So ever since Adam, we've been sinners. So we're not the first people in history who've needed this, this gospel. We thought of um, David earlier, and uh, Henry mentioned Adam, which you're looking at. All these people needed the same good news that you and I needed. And it's been the same gospel all throughout history. In chapter 4, Abraham was justified this way. 
He was justified freely, just by trusting God. Paul was justified this way. He was declared righteous freely because he trusted God. And you and I, the year 2023, it's the same God, the same character, the same gospel, same solution. It's the free grace of God based on what the Son of God has done. It's not something that we work up. It's not a feeling that we have to try and get up and then maintain. It's not a frame of mind that you wake up out of bed one morning and you've lost it the next. That's not what salvation is. Salvation is a person. Salvation isn't something in you. It's something in him. The gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the good news. And so faith isn't, faith is like an eye. The one thing an eye cannot do is look at itself. I don't know if you've ever tried looking at your own eye. Try it. It's an interesting business. Faith can't do that. Faith is like an eye. It's, it's for looking at Jesus Christ. And that's, it's free. It means that we believers are those who believe in something. We are those who trust the Lord Jesus Christ. True faith looks to Jesus, delights in him, preoccupies itself with what Jesus has done and not on what we are and how we're doing. So as I close, I want to just um, give some pointers for, for us which I hope will be helpful. And the first of all is, if it's free, then remember this, it's too late to try and pay for it. Somebody who's already done it. And somebody who's already failed. I'm trying to explain what I mean. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen those free climbers. Uh, crazy guys who climb cliffs literally with no ropes. And I have to admit, there's something strangely fascinating about people who do that. Um, climbing up a sheer rock face with no ropes at all and there is zero margin for error. And if, if they make an error, then they will die. Well, that... That is the, that's the deal. As Christians, oh sorry, not as Christians, as human beings, that's the deal. There's no margin for error. If you want to be righteous before God, if you want to pay it for yourself, it's like that. It's got to be 70, let's say you live to your 70. It's got to be every single day of your life, 365 days a year, all your life long, every minute, not even a stray thought for one moment. That's the deal. How, how are you doing? It's not, it's, it's, not, not, not a, it's not that it's like a hard thing. We just look back and think, oh, that's, that's already too late. I've missed that bus. It's already far too late. Because we haven't just had a stray thought. We've had a whole lifetime of daily and repeated and offensive sin. We didn't have a stray thought. We had a lifetime of offensive behavior. And we could use stronger words than that. So if it's about paying, well, it's already too late. We've already failed that one. And then Jesus has paid. So if you saw a man who was absolutely exhausted and he's walking along the road and he's, he's, he's sort of 
I don't know, carrying three rucksacks and he's got his bags full of shopping. He's totally exhausted. And you're saying, well, sit, sit down, have a break. And he says, I can't. You think he was nuts? Well, of course you can sit down. He said, no, I can't sit down. I can't let go. You think he had some, maybe some psychological problem. But that's what it's like when you and I, we, we see this salvation. And you've heard about salvation this morning, a free salvation. And yet we still try and pay for it. We're still working hard. We're saying, I, I, can't, I can't, can't sit down. Are you too tired to collapse? That's a strange argument. Well, the gospel says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. So if you're not a Christian this morning, Jesus offers rest for the soul. He has done the work. It's free. You don't have to do anything. Just trust him. And for those who are Christians, remember that Satan's work is to blur obvious things. Is to make hazy what God has made plain. So there are some things in the Bible which are hard to understand, definitely. There are other things in the Bible that are crystal clear. One of the things that is crystal clear in the Bible is that salvation is by grace, not by works. It's in blazing clear letters. Being justified by faith, not by works, we have peace with God. Remember, Christian, that's the gospel you have believed. That's the gospel which you are saved in. That's the simplicity of the gospel. A J.C. Ryle, a uh, pastor in the 1800s, he said this. Listen to this. This is a striking thought and it's helpful. We must beware that we do not make a Christ of holiness. We must beware that we do not make a Christ of holiness. What's he saying? He's saying that Jesus is your saviour, not your holy life. Don't, Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ. He's the thing you trust in. Don't look at how you're doing in your life and think, if I'm living a holy life, this is my Messiah. This is my saviour. That's not your saviour. Jesus is your saviour. You see what he's saying? And you and I, although it is crystal clear, it's blazingly obvious in scripture how we are saved. That is our tendency, that is my tendency, to always go back to this, I've got to do it. I've got to do it myself. It's done. It is finished. And then finally, if, if it's finished, if it's really finished, then pursue a holy life with all your heart. Paul said that um, the love of Christ constrains us, he said. He's not working in, in life on his own in energy. He's working for God. He's living a holy life because God has forgiven him freely. So if you have received this great salvation, if you have this precious, this permanent and this free peace, then serve him with all your heart. Lay your burdens down and serve your saviour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. We thank you that it is good news to sinners. Thank you that Jesus came 
not to save and call the righteous, but to save sinners. He came for those who needed a doctor. We pray that each one of us would trust him this morning and we would go out from this building with a, a conviction in our heart that Jesus has paid it all. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.